Hey, everybody. Absolutely stunning news over here this week. We have a video version of this week's episode available on our Patreon, which is patreon.com slash late night. Go over there, sign up at any tier, and you'll have access to it. Once again, that's patreon.com slash late night. Now, enjoy the show. Is that a tattoo of a hot dog? If so, that is the coolest. <laughs> it is. The story is that I have a brother who's 17 years younger than me. And at the end of third grade, he got this card that he put like on his bedroom door, you know, because he was eight and needed to put some stuff up. And every single person was like, have a great summer, Oliver. You love hot dogs. And I was like, What? <laughs> What? Yeah, like every single classmate mentioned his love of hot dogs. And I was kind of like, well, I had no idea, but really good to know. <laughs> and then on tour one year, a flash sheet of this artist I fell in love with had a hot dog and she barely pressured me. And the rest <laughs> is history. <laughs> yeah, that's some serendipitous flash sheeting. Yeah, for sure. So now he knows that he's with me all the time. That's awesome. That's so sweet. I love that. It's so funny. So my daughter just just turned eight four days ago. Oh wow. Happy birthday and to her. Yes. Uh well, I'm sure we'll discuss our birthday weekend uh <laughs> later in the show. But it's funny how every kid in her second grade class, I feel like I know one fact about them. And it's like, oh, this kid loves horses. You know, this kid is into Italian stuff. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. This is the greatest thing. She has a kid in her class who his parents are Italian, and he wears a trilby and sunglasses to class <laughs> all the time. <laughs> and I, I went in to read a couple weeks ago, you know, because we haven't done much in-person stuff for obvious reasons. Mm -hmm. And I was like, who is this fashion icon sitting here <laughs> in the front row? I mean, and he looks awesome. Too. Unbothered, hydrated, trilbied out. <laughs> yep. He's just there, a second grader, just vibing and has immaculate fashion sense. And it's not that kind of like weird bro trilby you see sometimes. You know what I'm talking about? What is a trilby? It's fedora adjacent. <laughs> it's not quite a fedora. Okay. I think of fedoras. Tell me if this is wrong. Fedoras usually as like dark colored hats. So I think that what people often refer to as a fedora is actually a trilby. Yeah. Wow. Uh-huh. Trilby versus fedora. So glad that other people have been wondering, okay, <laughs> it seems a fedora has a wider brim and a trilby has a smaller brim. I can kind of see like a fedora bothers me and a trilby doesn't maybe. Mm -hmm. like, <laughs> I, you know what? I think that's 100% accurate. Yes. Right? And I can't exactly figure out what that means, but the brim seems to be related. Yeah, because there's this whole realm. So you've got fedoras, you've got trilbies, you have boaters. I think that we need to bring pork pie hats. What's a boater? Oh, a boater is like, okay, so I'm looking at images of this. I'm not some sort of hat expert, but like a boater, <laughs> flat top, wide brim. I think Jungle Cruise-ish. Oh, okay. Yes, right. yes, yes. Pork pie is like the really, like, I'm going to sell you a trolley. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm going to sell you a monorail type hat. Mm -hmm. And then bowlers is like short brim, but rounded on the top. Like well, the bowler, I remember, because it's the brown derby. Yes, right? of course. The, the mm -hmm. classic hat-shaped restaurant that no longer exists. Right. Oh, yeah, that's sad. Yeah, what a cool kid. A little jealous of that guy. 
Yeah, this kid is awesome. It's also funny because my daughter has two kids who also speak Italian or class. Wow. Yeah, I don't know if that's just coincidence or if the families knew each other or whatever. Right. But it is amazing because she gets to experience, in stark contrast, what English spelling is like compared Mm. to Italian. Because when she talks to the Italian kids about like, hey, do you have spelling tests? They're like, no, you just write down how it sounds. Like, this is just what it is. Yeah. And... I have so much more empathy for people who try to learn English spelling not as a first language. 100%. Because Audrey, my kid, is a brilliant kid. But spelling is like one of the things I can point to that's not her strong suit. She struggles with it and it's you super know, has hard. to work really hard on it. It's super hard and there's no fucking rules. No. This is the thing. It's just insane. Because English is this weird amalgamation, you know, it's Germanic, but there's this huge romance language influence and all this stuff. And trying to be like, okay, well, this word is spelled like this, and here's a list of other words that are spelled like that. But here's 12 other words with the same vowel sounds, but they're spelled completely different. Mm -hmm, And, mm -hmm. you know, there's like etymology, but that's not what they're looking for at eight years old. They're looking for like, if there's an H, put an I next to it or whatever, and you just can't do it. There's just no way. Eight is such an amazing age. That's like the fact gathering age, you know, when they're oh, like, yes. did you know, like blah, blah, blah. Uh-huh. And, <laughs> and so like for spelling to just not have any logic to it at all must be so perplexing. And it really is just like a memory thing at the end of the yep. day. And I still have a friend who we've been friends since we were eight. And I remember she really struggled with her B's and D's then. And to yep. this day, she still struggles with them. I didn't know this. Do you know the mnemonic for which way the B's and D's go? No. It's a bed. So if you write the letter, the word Mm. bed, the B goes in and the D goes out like the ends of the bed. Oh, right. Because if you wrote it the other way, then you don't have a bed. Yeah. Then you have two gaps to fall into with a lump in the middle. (laughs) Right. That's really smart. When I think about being eight, I think about learning cursive, like alongside a bunch of spelling tests that I was doing abysmally on. Do they still teach kids cursive? No. No. And in fact, I'm surprised you know cursive, actually. (laughs) Oh, yeah, baby. (laughs) No, no, because I thought they stopped it longer ago than you would have been in school. But this is a thing I see online occasionally now, which is people under a certain age or what I don't know exactly what it is, cannot read cursive. There was a thing going around Twitter- like six months ago or not not that long ago. It was an old letter like from the 50s or something. And it was written in cursive. And a bunch of comments were like, literally, what the fuck does this say? It looks like <laughs> complete nonsense to me. What? Well, believe me, that was my reaction too. But then I try, you know, I try to be empathetic. Yeah. And- I mean, that's true. If you didn't learn, how would you know? Yeah, especially because some of those letters are like, how did we get here? Like, for example, with a last name starting with G, the the capital cursive G. What? I'm trying to remember how it... It, it, It's up and then a loop and then down and then over, right? Okay, that's what I thought. Yeah. It's true. It just looks like a mistake. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yes, 100%. Zs are weird. Zs are weird. Bs are weird. I love them all. I remember having to do this in the fourth grade. So that was 2000 for me. Mm -hmm. But I I broke my writing hand 
I like was skipping through my grandmother's house and I like hit my hand against the wall and I fractured a tiny bone in my pinky. When you were a kid. When I was a kid, when I was 10 in the fourth grade. And I was like, can I please stop writing in cursive? Because I hate it. And my teacher was like, nice try, Alana. And I was like, um, (laughs) yeah, but now I'm grateful I can. Yeah, totally. Do they really like still prescribe like the way that you were supposed to hold a pencil? Because I remember it being... Such a struggle. Do I have any writing implements? I think about this all the time because I have never held my pencil correctly. I'm going to show you. This this is the way that they tell you to do it, and it's infuriating. Feels unnatural. I do two fingers on top like this. On top. Yeah, like see see this? I see that, yeah. (laughs) That looks good to me. (laughs) If I try to hold it like this, this feels horrible. Yeah. Yeah. This finger is crooked from the way that I like hold. I, I permanently have a callus and it's crooked uh, <laughs> from the way I hold it. But I'm a professional artist. So like it worked out for me thus far. Right. Nobody can tell you it didn't work. Alana, how, how are you holding it? I also have a little bump where I hold it. And I always have ever since I wrote a lot, you know, because I've always really enjoyed writing. So ever since what, eight or nine, I've had a bump there on my middle finger. But I've held it a variety of different ways over the years. Like even this one. I don't know if you guys have tried this one. I've seen people do that one. In between, huh? Yeah, it kind of is just a relief if you're tired of the other way. Yeah, I remember seeing kids do that. And I was really into pencil grips back in the day. So like, however the pencil grip was organized, I would just be like, cool, I guess my fingers go here or whatever. I remember those triangle ones, right? Do you remember these? Those like triangular ones. A big triangle over, yeah. Yes. They also made ones that looked like you put a piece of gum there and then you just like stuck your fingers in and then it was like baked or whatever. Those were my favorite. The really molded ones. Yeah. Yeah. I I loved the like ribbed ones where you could like (laughs) roll it down and it would make like a little ball. That was my favorite thing to do in class. Yeah. I remember that so vividly. (sighs) The cool things that the cool kids do with their pencil grips. (laughs) Oh, yeah. From Audrey's school... At least as far as I can tell. And obviously it's been weird because they were remote for, you know, a year or so. Right. But I don't recall them ever talking about grip position. So there's a lot of spelling and that sort of thing. And maybe they're doing this in person. I just don't know about it. But Audrey has never been like, oh, wait, I need to hold this a certain way. Right. So maybe the teachers aren't pressuring her the same way. Yeah. I was told through high school, if you're not writing your tests and papers, if they're handwritten, if you're not writing them in cursive, they will not be accepted. Yes. Like we won't accept things in manuscript. I was just told cursive is the correct way to do it. And that's the way you do it. Yeah, we had something similar. Then we were allowed to use pen at some point, mm-hmm. but we weren't allowed to make mistakes. It was like, you know, only use the pen if you uh-huh. can handle it. <laughs> kind of a thing. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not sure what it's like now. I don't even understand how you like write a paper anymore, like thinking to college or something like all of my sources were always books. Well, even just like with the internet, you can use one or two internet sources, but that's it. (laughs) Yeah. And then like the URL citation would be like so vague compared to the book one. And now I'm like, whatever happened between then and now, I'm just like at a total loss as to like how to fill in the blanks with regard to the internet and school. (laughs) I don't know. That's a good question. I don't know what is considered acceptable now for sources. But Leighton, you said one or two internet sources and the rest need to be books. Yeah, that's how it was like 
even until high school. And like kids would beg, like, can I please use the internet? And they're like, no, we have encyclopedias. Use them. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, What an interesting thing to navigate. This would have been pre-2010. I think once I was in high school, you were allowed to use more internet sources, but still you were really, I remember doing my like senior project and I still could only have like a very limited number of internet resources. What was your senior project? Mm. Oh, I want to hear all about this. We had to pick our topic. uh, And mine was like arts advocacy, of course, (laughs) but it was going into like the mental health benefits uh, and like community benefits of like art therapy and making sure that people have access to art and like appreciating it more. And so my thing was like, I made a documentary called Art from the Heart. Um, Like a filmed documentary. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. This is a high school senior? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. This is amazing. (laughs) I had like a whole binder that I had to put together that was just like the most meticulous, like essay writing, 50 hours of volunteer work, like all of that. And so like, I couldn't just make the documentary. I had to screen it for an audience. And so it was like, great, I'm going to find fifth graders at the school I used to go to and they'll watch (laughs) it. Oh, I remember this now. I remember this. Yeah. And so I went to screen it And they were like, actually, we don't have the fifth graders today. So you're going to be presenting to the entire second grade class (laughs) of this school. Speaking of second graders. Mm -hmm. And the maturity difference of being able to understand the worksheets that I had made in the pretty high level documentary, we had to turn it off halfway through and watch cat videos. And the (laughs) the teachers backed me up and were like, yep, great job. The kids loved it. And so all the worksheets that I had of like, what did you think about art before watching this? And like, what effect do you think art? has on society. Like the answers were so funny and I had to like cherry pick the most precocious children's answers to put in the binder. That's sweet. Yeah. And then I presented the whole thing to the board and the only thing I got points taken off for was inappropriate dress. You got, wait, what? (laughs) Sorry. Wait, for your presentation? Yeah. Cause you had to also do like a PowerPoint to present, like, here's all the stuff that I did. What did you wear? It was like a Navy dress that was, you know, fully strapped neck up to here. You were dressed as Lilu from the fifth element. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it was, you know, the hands by your sides, like, you know, hitting the tip of your finger by your side rule. Yeah. I remember that. That was it. Wait, so you followed all the rules and you still got points off? Did you have like tattoos or something? What the heck? (laughs) Me having tattoos at 16. That (laughs) would be hilarious. But I don't know. I don't know if you experienced this, but I feel like the way that like dress code and point taken off things are applied to like women especially are so ridiculous because that's not the only time that happened to me. It happened like consistently through college too. And even though I was in art school and dressing crazy, I wasn't dressing crazy for that kind of thing. I didn't know that they could take points off in college. I thought that was like a small town public school problem. But you would think I had a public speaking class and I killed that public speaking class. But I bet still. Damn, I'm so sorry. No, that sounds horrible. We had <laughs> I didn't experience that in college, but in middle school and high school for sure. And actually, I'm still friends with all of these girls. We were just madly in love with each other and we were very like handsy and arms through each other's arms and stuff. And nobody was dating each other. We were very boy crazy and nobody was like doing anything inappropriate at school. But my dad was called in by the principal because me and my best friend, according to them, were leading a lesbian pack and (laughs) in like seventh grade. And my dad was like, 
Um, first of all, what's the problem? Don't ever call me again. And they were like, okay. Because like, even if that were true, like there's no risk of anything. First of all, sounds awesome. (laughs) First of all, if that were the case, that would have been super fun. (laughs) No, it was definitely like a level of sexism and fear about something having to do with like, these girls don't look like the other girls girls that we're used to or something. I don't know. Yeah. Well, also, if you want to create a lesbian pack, there's no better way to do it than be like, stop traveling in that pack. (laughs) You know, your physical affection makes us uncomfortable. Stop doing it. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to touch my friends even harder. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, we did double down. Yeah. The way that like some of that dress code stuff is enforced like so unevenly too, especially in high school where it's like, teenage girls develop at different rates. And so it would always be girls who like were more chest developed who would be getting called out for like, she's just wearing a normal shirt, man. Also, it's creepy as hell that you're like a middle-aged high school teacher and you're like, I don't like that. I can see your boobs. Totally. And like, poor girl, she probably has no idea. Like last week, she was like, this fit me. I just got dressed today. (laughs) You know, like the perspective of the pubescent person is like not taken into account. And instead, you're just teaching these young people to be like so stressed and so like, tell me what I'm supposed to do, which is like not a good citizen to create, I don't think. Yeah. No. And also, you're responsible for the way that men react to the way that you dress. That's solely on you. (laughs) Yeah, and you're 11, 12, 13. Like, I'm such a tiny... I've literally been the same since I was 11. So I think maybe I had a big butt situation in the ninth grade, but I never had to, like... (laughs) I never had to, like, worry that my boobs were going to scare anybody. But for sure, I have multiple friends who... Those poor girls, like, I mean, you're a child. And just what you just said, Leighton, like, what the hell? These people just kind of being like, you know what? You're really making everybody uncomfortable. And you're like, I'm in first period. It's 730. Like, it took all of my strength to get here. And now I'm wearing the wrong T-shirt that I wore last week. That can't be right. Also, by you're making everyone uncomfortable, that's clearly one person who's like, as you said, it's usually some middle-aged guy who's like, eyeing everybody as they walk in, probably not in an intentionally creepy way, but certainly in an unintentionally creepy way. Yeah. At the very least. Well, and also like normalizing, it's totally cool for a middle-aged man to judge you for your body and make your body your fault. Totally. And the other adults kind of agreeing, which is not a good message to send either. And it's humiliating, especially if you have to have your parent come like bring you something else or they send you home like... Uh, Did you get sent home, Leighton, for dress code? No, I never got dress coded other than like getting points taken off for presentations just because I was, it was a dark time of cargo shorts and hot top Star Wars t-shirts. So I Dark was, time or peak fashion time, depending <laughs> on. Peak fashion. <laughs> Speaking of peak fashion, are those Dickies overalls? They are. Those are so cute. They're Dickies girl. And speaking of body inclusivity, Dickies girl is like a different brand from Dickies apparently. Really? Oh. Yeah, I didn't know, but their sizing is so open, I should say. Like, I don't think there's a body that won't fit into one of the sizes and they're all kind of, I don't want to say like boxy, but they're definitely not tight. Yeah, I love them. Clothing is so tight. No, it's just like oh my everything God. is cropped and tight and I have to order like two sizes up if I want like a loose yeah. fit where I don't feel like this is going to shrink in the wash and it's going to fit this area with fitted <laughs> tees. 
listeners, I'm gesturing to like my clavicle. When you have boobs and a t-shirt is tight, you get that like weird, Mm -hmm. I don't know what to call that. It's just uncomfortable. I don't want to deal with it. It's not really like part of the zeitgeist fashion right now either, unless you want to look like you're from like the original Fast and Furious or something. But like, (laughs) you know, if you're going to rock a tight tee, like if you want to look like an adult woman, you probably don't want it to hit like that. And there doesn't seem to be like a good style at the moment. But luckily, I'm a big fan of just like standard tees, you know, like unisex, whatever, like the band tee. Yes. And my dad's a visual artist. He made the logo for this music store that I grew up like working at and learning how to play music at and stuff. So he sent me a tee with his logo on it. And it's a V-neck. To this day, I pass it in my closet and I'm like, I can't wear a V-neck tee. Like, I just, (laughs) I can't do it. The tight thing, that is now part of men's clothes too, which it wasn't for a long time. Mm -hmm. But I feel like around 10 years ago, they started making specifically jeans more elastic. Like the the fabric changed. And it is my least favorite thing in the fucking world. (laughs) I hate tight clothes. I remember... Going from like buying my typical pair of jeans, I would just wear the same ones all the time because I like the way they fit. And then suddenly I tried them on at the store and it was like, wait, this is way too huggy. What's your jean that you go to? Well, I'm pretty fancy. So I buy them from this little <laughs> boutique called The Gap. <laughs> I've never heard of that place. Yeah, for years I would just buy the same like Gap blue jeans. And now I just can't wear them anymore because they made them way tighter and stretchier. Yeah, the straight leg tight There's a name for them, but that became a thing for sure. Mm -hmm. And now the TikTok youth is saying that they're out of style. So, you know, Brian, you did that sort of thing where you just hung on to the old thing long enough that Mm -hmm. it came back. Yes, you know, (laughs) that's what I'm good at. I am now certainly at an age where the stuff that I grew up with as a teenager is like back in now, you know, because I was a teenager in the 80s and early 90s. And that stuff's just straight up back. You know, now we're into the 90s again, if not the early 2000s. Totally. So it's like the 80s stuff is now even a little passe, right? Yeah. I always make this comparison with music. You're calling back like the 80s, but now with all the new technology, you know, like it's Mm. more compressed or it's just louder or whatever it is. And it's kind of interesting to see everybody's take on the 90s or like Y2K only through the 2020s lens and... It's not inaccurate. It's just different. And it's fascinating. What I love about it, too, is you get to see everyone's personal take on the 80s as in what they listen to, right? Mm. And then just the stuff you remember. You know, I want to have this discussion. I want to introduce the show here and introduce you so we can put some more context to this. (laughs) Everybody, Mm -hmm. this is Late Night with Brian Wecht. Here we have Leighton Gray. That's me. The one who just spoke was Brian Wecht. That's me. Mystery guest. Would you care to introduce yourself? Hello, my name is Party Nails, nay Alana. I'm a musician. I'm from upstate New York and I now live in LA and I like to write songs and use computers and technology and I'm also a guitar player. So I try to make a wonderful, dancey, cry-y, vulnerable songwriting situation with some cool production by whatever means necessary. So good to be here. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Yeah, thank you for being here. We're stoked to have you. I have to ask before I forget, where in upstate New York? Oh, I'm from south of Albany, 
I'm from a small town oh, okay. called Chatham. It's like a 2,000 people town, very small. Is that like Troy adjacent? Yeah, yeah, just okay. a little further south, like a little closer to New York City, but very mm. much off the beaten path. Although I will say now there's a lot of Airbnbs in the last 10 years, but it used to be like a where are you situation. Yeah. <laughs> Is it part of that whole like Hudson Valley revival kind of Yes, thing? 100%. Yeah. It sounds like you've like really kept in touch with childhood friends. Are they, I'm always so fascinated when people are able to do that and like stay lifelong friends with tiny childhood friends. <laughs> I feel very lucky that we found each other. It does feel like we maybe have always been together or something like that. Right now, actually one of my friends from childhood is getting married. So we're all like, back into the constant contact thing. But for the last 10 years, it's been tricky to stay in touch. You know, some have kids, some live far away like me, and we're very, very different. I don't know if we would have become friends now, but something about that shared experience in that small place. And I will say that none of our parents are still married. So even though we're very different, we do have some common childhood experiences beyond just being in the same school or whatever. And mm -hmm. it sets a very high bar for friendship, honestly. It made it very hard to meet <laughs> new friends until I really separated myself a little bit. But this is really gnarly. But like we went to Vegas for my friend's bachelorette. She was like one of the first friends to get married and she was marrying a woman. So her bride-to-be was with us like at the bachelorette, which I think is against well, the rules, fun. but that it was extra fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, you guys, like if I just like shat myself, like I would be totally fine. Like that's the level of comfort <laughs> that I have with you. And like, so they're like my poop friends, which is kind of gross, but like that's kind of the level of comfort, right? That like I could be in any situation. And like, if they had to suddenly like clean shit off of me. Like, I would be like, thanks for helping me. Like, no embarrassment <laughs> at all. <laughs> Those are That's true awesome. friends. That's amazing to hear. <laughs> oh, yeah. Sorry. All I was going to say is I, I spent a lot of time going through basically up 87. Oh. Well, as a teenager, because I went to Williams College in Western Mass. Oh, so yeah, I'd yeah, go yeah. from North Jersey up 87 and then over right around. This is how I know Troy and that whole area. Totally. And you're from New Jersey. I'm from North Jersey. Yeah. I love New Jersey. I was so, born in I Hoboken. New Jersey. Yeah. People from oh, New Jersey wow. just get it, you know? They just get, thank you. Yes, correct. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You get the zone. Like, even though Williams is like that area in Northampton and like that part of Vermont, like that whole general yep. going north vibe is not where I'm from, like rather than living in a metropolis, like that's sort of your experience, right? Is like you kind of incorporate yes. all of these big and little towns into your whole worldview. 100%. I loved it. In hindsight, I realized that like it was a really wonderful place to just kind of be a budding artist and to like figure out some things, you know, and I would love to be back, but it is just not New York City. It's, it's not Los Angeles. Nowhere. It's the middle. Yeah. No, I just can't. There's that fantasy of like, you know, go buy a three-story house for $200,000 mm -hmm. or whatever mm -hmm. and just be an artist in a huge place in an affordable and possibly on the upswing kind of town. Yeah, but for sure. imagine trying to travel anywhere. Like, oh my gosh. You're fucked. Like you got to drive hours to get to a decent airport that'll get you anywhere. It's kind of the vibe, honestly. Like yeah. my dad, who doesn't like traveling anyway, but the idea that you just get on a plane to like do some work, he just kind of is yeah. like, what kind of world <laughs> is this? 
<laughs> yes, totally. There's something really appealing, especially, you know, now as a person with a child of being like, oh, I could just be with my family there and yeah. it would be affordable and you pick the town right, probably has a great school, like blah, blah, blah. Seems very manageable, but also like when you do need to do work stuff that's not at home, you're yeah. completely fucked. Yeah, and winter's like six months long and you're kind of like, wait a minute. Also that, yes. maybe, yeah. maybe this wasn't such a good... <laughs> yeah. As a depressed person, I think yeah. it would go from like, oh, this beautiful cottagecore lifestyle to I am in The Shining and I'm going to die within like two months. That's my entire adolescent experience, like just right there. That was it. <laughs> I was like, I gotta yeah. get out of this place. I love the feeling of being trapped in a house on a snowy day. I mean, some people hate it, of course, but some of my best memories are just like, well, I can't do anything today. I can't leave. I can't walk outside. It's coming down like nobody's business. I just got to hang out at home and, you know, listen drink to music cocoa. or yeah. <laughs> drink some cocoa. And when you're little enough, go play in the snow. It just rules. I love it so much. My daughter growing up in LA just simply doesn't have that. And it yeah. is to me the definitive thing that I wish she had in her childhood that she will not. Yeah, I understand that. I always say it's like February, March is the time that you're just like, why are we here? But prior to yep. that, it's just picturesque and totally Norman Rockwell vibes the whole time. But you can always visit. Yes, exactly. So I, I wanted to ask, we were talking about music before we introduced mm -hmm. the show. The thing that I, I was about to say was, one thing I try to do, I, I wonder if either of you is like this, is you kind of, you know, listen to stuff, you absorb your influences. And I will often purposefully try to forget some of that before I dive into creating a new thing, because I want more of the subconscious feeling of being influenced than the immediate direct Sometimes I'll listen to a song and be like, I want to write a song like that. Usually it's like, I will on purpose not listen to a band and think that I'm going to try to write a song like this band, but it's actually writing a song that's like my memory of that band right. more than the band itself. Is that something you do as well? I wish. <laughs> I find myself more unable to sometimes listen to things that I might otherwise enjoy because I'm thinking about it too much. And I noticed this happening, like the more that I got into making videos and stuff like music videos, I'd be watching a TV show and be like, it's just a bunch of people on a set, you know? And it's like, well, <laughs> uh <-huh>. yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course it is. Wait, are these just actors? Yeah. Like they're just yeah. acting and that's not even like a real phone, you know, or whatever uh -huh. the stupid <laughs> thing is. And like the same thing would happen with music where it'd be like, oh, well, all they did is just some la la la's here or like all <laughs> this is is like a guitar with a chorus on it. And it's like, well, yeah, all anything is, is just some of its parts. I actually take medication <laughs> for this because I have such intense anxiety that I'll just like tear apart the pieces to the point where it's an unpleasant experience. But I think in a controlled state, you know, where I am able to live comfortably, there is still that instinct to just not be able to enjoy something if I'm also about to make something. So that makes the amount of sensory intake, I just like shrink it a lot. So I think maybe my similar experience to yours, Brian, is like, I get really into one particular aspect of many things and kind of that's what I'm gathering and maybe blinders to everything else. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Whether that's like 
an amazing snare drum or like somebody's style of using a vocal transformer. Like two broad but specific examples, you know, that you could just like, oh, I'm only listening to music where they've transformed the voice. Like, sorry, I can't like, (laughs) there will be no natural voices. You, You know what made me feel a lot better about this is I did a couple of songwriting exercises where I like listened to a bunch of songs by an artist and was like, okay, I'm going to write like this artist. And then I sat down and I wrote something and I listened to it. I played it for someone and I was like, who does this sound like? And they're like, I don't fucking know. Like, how would I know that? (laughs) And it's not obvious. And then when I tested this out, I remember once I did a Toto song. All right, I'm really into Toto. I'm going to write a Toto song. Okay, who does this sound like? Person was like, I don't know, you? I'm like, okay, great. And this was someone who would have known Toto. And my producer slash songwriting partner, Jim, he espouses this philosophy. He's actually the person that convinced me to try it. He's like, anytime you try to write a song exactly like someone, unless you're like literally using the same chords and sounds and everything, right. it's going to sound totally different. So just don't worry about it. And I love this. testing it out. Yeah. Oh, it was so helpful. I feel like I'm getting permission. <laughs> yeah. Writing is so similar in that way. We're like putting something together. You're like, I'm literally just cribbing from like 10 different movies and four different shows and a couple of books. And I feel like all of these references that I'm making <laughs> in these situations are so fucking obvious. And then somebody reads it and you're like, is this too similar to X, Y, and Z? And they're like, no. What? I would never yeah. have thought of that. Because like at a certain point, you've, create such a Frankenstein of influences that it is in fact your own thing. Mm. And also like the freeing realization that any other person's style is straight up just cribbed from all the things that influences them. Like you just don't know because you don't have the mind that that person has of like, here's what they're referencing. I will talk about this point further when we do our segment, What's Poppin' later. I just released something. So I have a kid's band, Go Banana Go. And I wrote one song. I was like, is this too much of a ripoff? And then I had to take a step back and I was like, okay, what is this modeled on? It's the rhythm of a chorus from a not very obscure, but relatively obscure comedy hip hop duo called Grand Buffet from like the late 90s, early 2000s that almost nobody has heard of. You know, the main demo for them is like six-year-olds. They're going to call you on that immediately. (laughs) Well, that was the other fucking thing. I was like, no kid is going to know. And I was like, oh my God, what? I'm just such a hack. Why am I ripping this off? And I was like, no, dude, take a step back. By the way, the rhythm was ba, 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 ba. And I was like, no, 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 no. Okay, it's a different song. I was like, come on, be nicer to yourself, asshole. For sure. (laughs) Be nicer to yourself, (laughs) asshole, is such a motto. (laughs) I have a label maker, and my computer's been labeled. It's labeled computer. Things like this to help me. And be nicer to yourself, asshole, will be a label at the end of this. And I put it on my forehead, probably. Uh (laughs) Yes. When you're like trying to transition out of like constant internal like self-loathing or negative self-talk as you're moving towards being more positive, it's like... You should take care of yourself, you bitch. And it's like, no, 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 no. No, you yes. should take care of yourself. Uh, late end of sentence, hopefully. And you have to approach your work from a point of ignorance more than you do, right? Yeah. Like, people are not going to have the same cultural attachments and knowledge that you do. Yeah. Even if you're like, oh, this is a blatant, you know, Steinbeck ripoff or whatever. No, no one's going to pick up on that. Uh <laughs> And the people who do will be like, oh, that's cool. 
What a fun homage. Totally. Or like right now, Angel Olsen, who's a songwriter that I really admire, her look is totally reminiscent of the original Blade Runner. Um, Rachel? Yes. And I'm just kind of like, rather than being like, oh, damn, like somebody's totally ruining the OG Blade Runner. I'm like, thank you, dude, for like putting this back into the zeitgeist in a way that totally respects the original thing. I didn't know that I wanted an Americana Rachel, but I do. And I'm really Mm -hmm. grateful that she's here. And I don't even know if that was their reference, but that's what I think of because there's also this like noir aspect to Angel Olsen's new era, or I guess always has been. She's the coolest. She's She's the coolest. And it's like no big deal. She's just like, sorry, I can't help it. I'm just amazing. And the whole like balancing joy and playfulness and newness with actually trying to make something that is relevant and important. And maybe you did some research. You're not just the kid version of you. You're like, I'm red and I went to college for this and I want to make something that's a little less like maybe it was an accident. That balance is really tricky. And it makes Mm -hmm. me think of my first songwriting teacher slash guitar teacher. He would always say, there's only 12 notes. Mm -hmm. And just kind of to be like, no offense, you're not that special. Like you're not going to make something (laughs) that cool and different because there's only so many options. And a math person would say 12 notes does leave you with a lot of options. And that doesn't take into account rhythm and all the different ways that you could put them together. Like it is infinite, really. And that's just the 12 yeah, notes scale, you know? We're, we're all working within generally a pretty triadic totally. conception of harmony, mostly, at least with the kind of songwriting and music that we make. The other thing I tell myself like this is listen to a genre like blues or whatever, where it's essentially the same four to five chords mm-hmm. over and over and over again. And it's still fucking great. And there's a lot of artistry. And this is something I really had to internalize where my tendency is to over-intellectualize literally everything. <laughs> Good and thing you have a podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's like the anxious person's little crutch, I say, as an over-intellectualizing, extremely anxious person. It's just like... This is my friend. But <laughs> what I had to realize as a musician was vibe counts for a lot. Like actually vibe kind of counts for 90% of it. And it doesn't matter that it's the same three chords that you're writing a one, four, five song. Listen to any Johnny Cash album or whatever. Totally. Like it's all attitude. Lyrics obviously make a big difference, but there's so much production that comes into what makes a song great, that it's easy to dismiss that just from a songwriting perspective. Oh, yeah. And when you listen to any song you love, guaranteed the production is a huge part of that to the point where it doesn't matter if these chords have been used before, this melody or whatever. It's all the vibe, right? Absolutely. There's so many different ways that you can contextualize a melody or a song. Yes. I forget who it was. I was going to say, I remember hearing... I think it was an interview with Niall Rogers, you know, guitarist from Chic. Le Chic. Yeah, Le Freak, c'est Chic, who said he <laughs> he wrote songs, Chic songs, just for the breakdown. Like that was <laughs> the point of the song is to get the breakdown, like, like really dial it in. That's amazing. And so you have a you know a verse, of course, all that stuff, whatever. It's all about when the breakdown happens. Yeah. I think you're totally on the money and we don't really have a way to like 
measure that in traditional music theory. I was thinking about as you're talking about blues, you know, it's the same thing over and over again. I remember in college in theory five, you basically learn to analyze all Western music on a harmonic level and they all right. go back to one five one. Like every single one of them <laughs> is one five yeah. one. And to me that's sort of like you know, a metaphor for like being an artist in a way. It's like, right, we're all kind of doing the same thing. It's just like, what are the details of that? Because it all comes back to you start at home, you go far away from home, and then you come back to home. And that's your story always. So it's comforting. It's like being on a mountain and seeing like how insignificant you are. Or that's my experience of that. Yeah. We had another musician, Urchin, on last week. So I'm going to ask you the same question I asked him, which is, for your songwriting, what's your relationship with theory? Are you like a very theory-centric person, or is it like more feel it out, or both, or a combination? Great question. It is theory-based, but I'm not like a Berkeley. Like, I had a bandmate once that was like, no, it's got to be like more interesting. And I'd be like, why? Like, I don't care how simple it is. It's a great question. Yeah. Why? <laughs> Why? It definitely doesn't. No. Truly, I feel like the more into it professionally that I get, the simpler it becomes. Like I'm making guitar charts for like my discography right now. And Mm -hmm. rather than like finding cool noodles and things to do up the neck, I'm literally just playing first position everything with a capo. And it's all basically Mm -hmm. the same. You know, I'm in C or G and sometimes I hit an A minor and sometimes it's a D minor and maybe there's like a 505 in there. And yeah, it's not intentional. It's just more like, You pick up on it from the education, right? Like listening to the Beatles, learning 20 Beatles songs. That is all you need to know about Western harmony if you want to write some cool stuff. So I would say no, but I do think about it a lot. Like for sure, like when I'm making a harmony on the microphone or something like that, like all of my choir experience will come into play. And then I'll be like, oh, well, I can't go too far away from my original note because that goes against counterpoint theory. Like it'll come into play, but I'm not like opening up my counterpoint book and like writing all of my Roman numerals or anything. It's just kind of like when I'm stumped or when I feel like I need to use those tools, then they come. And same that goes for production too. And I think in practice, it actually makes me feel like I'm okay at a lot of things and not very good at anything because I I really don't like make a point to be the best at any one of those things. You know, somebody's like, oh, well, we need, you know, wireless this or that. And I'm like, okay, cool. I'll go buy the manual and figure out how to do it. But I'm not like the go-to, you know, wireless in-ears person. I'm just kind of like, I know how to do it if I have to. And that's how I feel about all of these tools, theory included. Yeah, I think that's an amazing answer. I'm more theory-driven personally, but I 100%, when you said I'm not really good at anything, I'm just kind of good at a lot of things. That is exactly how I feel (laughs) about myself, where it's just like, I'm pretty competent at a wide variety of things. And yeah, it's just like, I can figure shit out if I need to. As somebody who frequently says similar things of like, I'm okay, like a bunch of things, it almost feels like the personal skill equivalent of that, like, people are going to know that I'm, I'm ripping off a bunch of these things. I think because like each of us are so familiar with our own skills and like the struggle that it's taken to get to whatever point that we are in developing them, that I think our own perception of it is so much harsher where most people who do Uh, not have those skills who have put in that time are like, what the fuck are you talking about? You're good at everything. (laughs) That's a hundred percent true. Every single person I know 
says the same thing and they're all just like wildly, ridiculously talented at all the things they're talking about. But it feels impossible to apply that same thing to myself of like, oh, and my friends say this and I tell them that I don't know what they're talking about. And then they say it to me. Well, clearly I'm still the fuck up. My example for this, which this is going to probably come across as bragging and I do not mean it to, is I went to grad school for physics. So I have a doctorate in that. I spent eight years as a researcher. That's amazing. I wrote over 30 papers, some of which were, you know, foundational in certain ways and highly cited. I was a faculty member can we, can, hold as on. a physicist. Yes. We've never talked about your papers, A. <laughs> Let me finish this thought and then we will get there. All right. So I have these credentials and I would describe myself as, I guess, pretty okay at physics. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> you bastard. But the reason for that, and I think this is kind of to your point later, or maybe an extension of it, is because I'm comparing myself to fucking Nobel Prize winners. Yeah. And my baseline is much higher than the typical baseline. My baseline is not, you know, someone in a physics class in high school. My baseline is my fellow researchers in theoretical physics. And I feel like compared to them, I was like, meh, I was okay. But... <laughs> On a grand societal level, obviously, I fucking rule at physics, but I cannot allow myself to see that context when I yeah. talk about it. And, you know, I will just completely dismiss. Yeah, OK, I went to grad school. Anyone can go to grad school. Yeah. Like, yeah, I got a PhD. That's easy. It's actually pretty easy. It's not that hard. Like, you just spend in the time. And you just, That's, yeah. Any skill, honestly, isn't that hard. It's time, right? And so when you put in the time, it's so easy to have horrible imposter syndrome because it's like anybody could, you know, anybody could play the guitar and write songs from the time they were 11 and they would probably come out a lot like me. And like, it's not that hard. Like, you just have to devote your whole life to it. Like, I don't know. (laughs) And then be insanely hard on yourself and convince yourself that that perfectionism is the only reason that you're here. And so you can't let that go because Ah. if you let go of the perfectionism, then you're going to start sucking because it's keeping me in check. Yep. Yep. No, that's so real, Leighton. I love the like cycle of creativity, right? Like just the kind of like the idea and then the obsession and then like trying to do it and blah, blah, blah. But again, like when you zoom out, the cycle that I have found is just doubt and mania. And there is just no in between. You are just either a total piece of shit or a total genius. And there's no in between. Yeah. Yes. I think it's actually something Jesse Thorne said on a podcast where he called it like the curse of the gifted child, which is to be tremendously high achieving and yet think that you've never done anything. That's an Alice Miller book, The Drama oh, of the Gifted okay. Child. It's a, it's, oh, it has some okay. good stuff in there. It's really dated, but it's still worthwhile. I didn't realize it was a reference to, to that. It is. But yeah, as somebody with bipolar too, it's totally, even when I'm not like in a technical hypomania and usually I'm in a depression, like I'll get a few hypomanias a year, maybe if I'm lucky. But I still feel like having anxiety on top of that, like the obsessional brain where it's just like, I have that mentality, even if I'm not like chemically matching it all the time. Right. It's just like an intensity that I simply cannot stop obsessing about a thing. Like it's all I do. And then I'll flip to another obsession and then another one and another one and another one. Thank God you're a creator. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I I think it can be 
a curse, as you are alluding to, but also like, thank God that you found your things. I should say that on behalf of all of us, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I remember that feeling of waiting to give myself permission or waiting to find my tribe or waiting to be in the right place or waiting to have a fan base. Like I don't have a very big fan base, but like that was a huge thing to just be like, somebody listened or like, Brian, you were saying that before we started recording, like just the idea that it matters to somebody is mind blowing. And like, Thank God for all of those things, because I'm sure, you know, if we were in a different time period, maybe a less like capitalistic time or whatever, like we would find ways to use these over whatever brains in other ways. But Mm -hmm. because we're not like busy building things to live, we're creating in other ways. And thank God there's a place to put all of that energy. And I feel finally that maybe my skill set has caught up with my desire to create, but that took, you know, I'm 32 in July. So that's a lot of practice to like reach a point where I can finally get the ideas out that I wanted to get out. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And even now it's like, it'll never happen fast enough. Like, I wish there was a way, you know. But that feeling of like you're almost trapped in your own experience and need to express what that is, that just describes my unmedicated adolescence for sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Another thing about that I, I feel a lot is the, as regards expressing ideas, is just the idea that the thing I started out wanting to express will probably not be the thing I end up making, mm. but it also doesn't really matter because I'll have plenty more chances and the thing that I'm making will be interesting in perhaps some way that I didn't anticipate initially. You have peace with that idea, it sounds like. I feel like I I don't have peace with that, that shift. I have total peace with this because I, I work almost exclusively in collaborations where if I am going to be a good collaborator, I have to suppress at least some of my voice, right? Mm-hmm. That's just what being in a collaboration is. And when I start writing, it is generally not my thing almost from the get-go. There, there's some exceptions to this recently, but my whole artistic philosophy as a collaborator, or even the solo stuff I'm doing is still with other people, is get good people, let them be good in the way that they like being good, yeah. and don't micromanage it because that's going to screw it up. I don't want to yeah. be... Uh, bag on this guy for the second week in a row. I don't want to be fucking Zappa where you're like, stop it. No, wrong note. You know, like you can give creative notes and stuff like that, but to demand perfection is such a vibe killer. Perfection is the enemy of good. No, I am the enemy of good. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, like with collaborations, if you're really self-critical, I almost feel like collaborations take out like half of that criticalness if you're working with the right person because it's just like, okay, we made this together. So this isn't solely about my ego being like, everything you make is shit. Yeah. No, I trust this person and they also make good stuff and we're both working together to solve a creative problem. And it's not just me torturing myself over a half-filled Word document. (laughs) Yeah. Well, honestly, late like this is one of the things I love about doing the show with you is that there's not a lot of planning. There's discussion, but not a ton. We just kind of start and let it go. And have we ever given notes to each other over this podcast? I don't think so. No, Brian, actually, I've been meaning to talk to you about (laughs) (laughs) For me, it has been almost always a successful artistic philosophy, which is like, 
find people you trust and trust them. Yeah, I think that's really beautiful. And that kind of goes back to the question you asked Leighton about like those early friendships of mine. It's like when you have that trust somewhere, it sets a high bar, I think. And I don't know if I've been as lucky. I'm certainly not ungrateful, but I've definitely learned a lot of things that were really hard to learn, you know, Mm -hmm. in the field, so to speak. Creativity, especially when you pair it with performance, is a very stressful experience for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. I think for everybody. And I think for some people, they have to make a decision at some point if that's really what they want to be doing. And to find yourself in the middle of that is hard, (laughs) especially when you're like young. I think I'm still on that journey as far as like being able to trust some of the people, you know, and maybe that will be forever or maybe that's just me or I definitely feel like the togetherness, aloneness to collaborative thing has always been interesting for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because creativity can be so solitary and usually is solitary. And then, you know, everybody has their own process, heavy air quotes, but like finding people who gel with that and are just like receptive. Everybody's smart about whatever they're smart about. And it's very unique to that person. And so finding like good combinations of somebody who will compensate for your weaknesses and vice versa. Like, but then also sometimes you work with people and they're absolute fuckheads. So (laughs) I like not doing that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I was thinking about collaborations or whatever I've had that have flamed out hard. And I think every single time there was kind of a vibe at the beginning where I was like, ah, something feels a little off. And then when it went off the rails, it was like, oh, that's the thing that fell off. That's what I should have been paying attention to the whole time. Yeah. I don't think I can think of any examples where it was just this total blindsided runaway train. Oh, my God. Like, that person's a a selfish jerk. Whoa, what a shock. (laughs) You know, it's like there was always that hint there. Uh, Always. Do you think? Always. Always, right? And I think having anxiety and then dealing with people that you have an initial gut reaction about because you're like, is this a real gut reaction or Uh am I just being anxious and catastrophizing? Yeah. And it's so difficult because in day to day, I'm like, I don't know if this is anxiety or if this is valid. And so when you get that feeling, it's only the hindsight where you're like, nah, that wasn't anxiety. That was was my gut being like, "Uh uh-huh. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's very, very, very tricky for me to decipher and- Sometimes it's only years later that I'll be like, oh, right, you know? And sometimes it's not even like something is wrong in the session or in the moment that I'm with this person or group of people. Sometimes it's like I've noticed that like my values just contribute so much to what I need to have in a creative thing that I've had to really accept what exactly those are, right? Like, it's very important for me to work with diverse groups of people rather than being like the only woman in the room is like one of my biggest ones that for a long time, I was kind of like, Alana, just relax. It's fine. But it just doesn't yield the thing that I want to be making. And so like, there were many smaller moments where I'd be like, I don't know why I just like, don't feel like meeting up with this person or I don't feel like pursuing this relationship. And years later, I can say like, oh, right. Like we're not on the same page about really where we're coming from. And ultimately, Mm -hmm. like, you know, Miss God or whoever is in charge up there is like, you did something different instead. And I definitely 
have peace with that. Like the idea that shit happens and I don't really know what that's going to be. And I'm cool with that. That I bring into everything for sure. Almost to a fault, I think, where like, I'm almost like, I don't know, like, is it a piece of shit? Who knows? Let's just put it out and see what happens when maybe I should have a little more quality control. But I, I feel like that's so, so preferable to being paralyzed into not doing things like creative paralysis is awful for sure it makes it so you just never finish anything or never put anything out to me this all falls under the umbrella which is something i think about a lot about not apologizing for one's process and there's no wrong or right way to do it and you know it might be right for one project of yours, but not for another project, et cetera, et cetera. But I think to myself all the time, I'm doing this the wrong way. Like a real musician would do X, Y, and Z, and it's just complete bullshit. There's no such thing. And I have to stop thinking if so-and-so hears it, they'd be laughing at this. This is ridiculous because I didn't do it the correct way. There's a lot of this. Also, when you come from a jazz background, jazz is very traditionalist in many ways. And there's a lot of like, oh, you haven't memorized Slanimsky? <laughs> Asshole. <laughs> you know, it's like, no, fuck you. That sounds like gibberish. What does that mean? Slanimsky has this incredible book called Encyclopedia of Scales and Modes, which was very influential to Coltrane and other people. I've that. sold that book many times. I didn't know <laughs> that it was so important. <laughs> yeah. It's like the Bible of jazz nerd theory Got initially, because it. it'll be like, so Leighton, just for context here, it's like, here's how to break up five octaves into, you know, seven equal intervals or whatever. And it'll show you all these scales and various modes. It's basically just a bunch of notes. But, uh, it's, <laughs> you know, apparently this is, you know, very influential to Coltrane specifically in the 60s. So with jazz, there's a lot of gatekeeping and kind of here's real jazz people do this Yeah. Which I think younger people, by the way, are totally breaking out of in a good way. But coming from that background, I have to constantly tell myself, no, I'm not a fraud. No, I'm not doing this wrong. I'm in a sex band that writes songs about dicks. It's okay (laughs) to be able to do my Shankarian analysis of blah, blah. Like, yeah. That's amazing. (laughs) So, Alana, I wanted to ask you, you mentioned growing up, like, working in a music store. Yeah. Please tell us about that, because that sounds, like, pretty influential for you. (laughs) It was. It really was. So, somehow, in this tiny town, there was a music store, and the owner, his name is Rob Caldwell, he has a daughter who is a few years older than me, who now is an amazing writer. Her name is Chloe Caldwell, and she's put out a bunch of really cool books that are very, like, if David Sedaris were to write about PMDD, kind of a vibe. Um, so uh-huh. basically amazing. Cool. And so huge fan of Chloe now. And But at the time, you know, she was just the teenager and I was the little girl and her dad had a music store and my dad became friends with her dad. And my dad started taking guitar lessons from him and they just became really close friends. And eventually... I started taking guitar lessons from him and writing songs. And he taught me alternate thumb, like baseline stuff and a lot of early Americana fingerstyle blues, a lot of songwriting theory, stuff that I've actually tried to have other teachers. Like I took piano lessons in college and I tried to get my piano teacher to teach me similarly to him where I was like, hey, can you just like teach me like where the one, four and five are in like a couple of keys? And she was like, no. (laughs) 
just like, well, that's what I want to learn. I want to learn how to write songs. And like right now I'm doing parallel fifths and I'm bored to tears. So bye. Mm -hmm. But he just was like, gave me the tools to just begin. That's what I try to do as a teacher now whenever I have students is kind of be like, you want to be playing catch up with yourself, not forcing yourself to learn something specific. So Rob really, really instilled that in me. And the store was just filled with anything bizarre. Like he just loves instruments and sounds and musicians. Like, so we'd have all kinds of cool instruments that he managed to find from whatever his travels here or there. And we had guitars and basses and amps. And there wasn't a whole lot of pro audio, which was a whole other era of my life. So there were no like groove boxes or drum machines or speakers really, but it was very much the foundation of like he would run open mics and 11, 12 year old Alana was there playing for an hour. That's awesome. <laughs> it was so fun. It's so embarrassing. <laughs> was it? No, were you so, doing covers or, or originals at that age? Both. There was a lot of It's My Party. I love that. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> that was a big one. Making Whoopi. Uh-huh. You know, that was Rob's influence. Uh, yeah, we yeah, did yeah. Pink, right? Mama, please stop crying. Pink's album, Misunderstood, had just come out. And like, I definitely could play it, the whole thing. Yeah. That's um, great. It was great. Everybody was at the open mics. And it felt really special to be able to share in that way. And Rob, he enabled me a lot. So, and now he's in New Orleans. So he's far away. Do you remember any of the songs you wrote from oh, yeah. when you were 11 or 12? I ended up recording some of them because Rob unbeknownst to me, like I was dicking around in GarageBand when my mom was like out, you know, we had just had one computer in the house because it's 2002. And Rob sent those things I made to a new studio that had just opened in an adjacent hamlet, East Chatham. So I'm from Chatham, Mm -hmm. East Chatham. And I guess there was a contest. So I won this contest to record a whole EP. So we did like five songs in a real studio. Oh, that's so great. When you were like 12. I think by the time that all happened, I was 14. But still very young. Very young. And I was like, why are we putting the amp in the closet? You know? (laughs) And I remember we, Uh we were doing doubles of claps and vocals and... There still is in the recording, like little 14 year old Alana, like, we're going to double that. Like, it just, the idea of like doing it again was <laughs> I insane. Love that. And now it's like, <laughs> you know, we do it all the time. It's like standard production stuff. Yeah. Absolutely. And that changed me. And so those were some of those songs. And there was one song called Green Cabbage about he likes cabbage. Why green cabbage? <laughs> I don't know. Another one called I Am a Puzzle. I am hard to complete. You know, like your standard teenage angst. Yes. Yeah. I love that. All right. Let's move on to segments. Our first segment. Segment? I think I said segment. Segment? Did I say our first segment? Our first segment is our pop culture recommendation segment where you get to talk about a book, a movie, an album, a song, whatever it is, video game, something you've been enjoying recently. Could be highbrow, could be lowbrow. doesn't really matter. This segment is called What's Poppin'? And the theme song, which we add in post, goes here. What's poppin'? What's poppin'? That was the What's Poppin' theme song. Layton, what's poppin'? What's poppin' for me is that with the advent of streaming services having everything, I've been continually frustrated that there are not more readily available commentary tracks for things because Uh I fucking love a director's commentary. Yes. Well, I found 
I won't say exactly where it is, just that you can find it easily. There is a Tumblr that has a collection of director's commentaries. And I listened to the one for, it's Jordan Peele just by himself doing director's commentary for Get Out. Oh, nice. And then I listened to the one for Robocop with Verhoeven and Ed Neumeyer and I forget who else. Wow. Fucking amazing, both of them. (laughs) The Jordan Peele, like I wasn't actually watching, I've seen both movies a bunch of times. And so I was just listening to it like a podcast. And Jordan Peele, just being a huge nerd about movies and like being mm-hmm. incredibly earnest about what he was trying to do. Super funny, super like great and insightful. And then the RoboCop one is just Verhoeven super funny. <laughs> <laughs> is he all over the place? Yes. Okay, that's what I would imagine. But but he he's on point though. Everything is so intentional. He's pretty much like exactly the way that you would expect him to be like all over the place, mm-hmm. but totally on message. <laughs> does he have an awesome Dutch accent? Oh, yes, he does. Great. I'm not sure if it exists, but I really wanted to hear like a Verhoeven commentary track for Showgirls, a movie I love, oh. because I just truly want to know, man, what were you thinking? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I say that being one of my like literal favorite movies, just like, man, <laughs> what is going on in your skull? <laughs> anyway, yeah. so I now have like a repository of director's commentaries. And I only found this because I was trying to find online like Sopranos commentaries. And I think I'm just going to have to do it the legal capitalism way in which I buy Blu-rays just because I'm desperate to hear that commentary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's what's popping. A lot of what's cool. popping. That sounds fun. I'm not into that, but I feel like I should be. Um, <laughs> what's popping for me is this book. I mentioned it briefly earlier. It's called The Red Zone by Chloe Caldwell. And it's like her third or fourth book. It's like a memoir in which she is figuring out that she has PMDD which is um, premenstrual dysphoria disorder, I believe is what that stands for. And so basically it's kind of the stereotype of women going crazy around their periods, but the actual medical diagnosis of that and her experience with that. And she did a ton of research about advertising and got little snippets from other people's experiences. And it's really fascinating. I'm actually rationing the book because I don't want it to end, which is how I feel about all of her books. But it's really amazing. Like just as many people knew so much as people who knew nothing, as people who were so proud, as people who were just like, just another thing that made me a woman and I didn't want to be one. And her experience is really fascinating. And I just appreciate anybody who can just be really earnest and really funny. And Mm -hmm. that is what the book is like. So that's what's popping for me. Great. Love it. Love it. Mm-hmm. Brian, what's mm-hmm. popping? Well, what's popping for me? A quick story. My friend Adam Felber, whose podcast I was on, I think I talked about this recently, has a podcast called Dad Band Land, nice. where <laughs> he is in a dad band and they talk about dad band kind of stuff. As part of this podcast, he tweeted a question, which was like, What's your favorite song that you love but is completely unappreciated by everybody else? And I was like, what? I thought that was a good question. And I thought about it for a while. And what I came up with was Lullaby by Ben Folds 5 off the thing that's popping for me, which is my favorite Ben Folds album, but probably their least popular, the unauthorized biography of Reinhold Messner, which is an absolutely incredible album from, I think it's 99. And I could not love this album more. It had a one hit for them, which was Army. 
Do you know that Ben Fold song? Well, I thought about the army. Oh, yeah. That's it, son, you're fucking high. This was 99? Oh, my gosh. That might be wrong. Let, let me look it up. Uh, this album is from, yep, 99. Well, I thought about, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, that. so that's like the one hit on this album. But, oh, my God, it's such a great album. The songwriting, the performing, it's very orchestral at parts. I love it. So much. I love that. Again, doesn't have the hits. It's, you know, it's not Brick or Song for the Dumped or whatever, but it's such a wonderful piece that's worth checking out. So the interesting story behind this album is, I might be portraying this slightly, is the title comes from a fake ID. The name, Reinhold Messner, comes from a fake ID that was getting passed around when Ben Folds was in high school. Like everyone would oh. use this name, Reinhold Messner. <laughs> puts out this album and it turns out that he's a famous mountaineer who people were just using this name for and they had no idea at the time that this was like an actual famous person they just thought it was a ridiculous name i don't know where this wow. originated so it, this kind of ridiculous sounding very germanic name turns out to be a real person who was a well-known mountaineer like, I think Google was a new thing. Let's say they're making the album in 98, 97, or it was about their high school experience. You don't just Google that yeah. name and just figure it out. I don't recall search engines being like a real thing for, you know, maybe until like 2001 or two or something. I'm probably slightly off there. Yeah. All right. That's my popping. Love cool. it. That's what's popping. Now we have arrived at our final segment which is three parts gratitude exercise and one part petty grousing. This is called Peaches and Lemons, and the theme song goes right here. Peaches and lemons. Peaches and lemons. Impeccable theme song, as always. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So we're each going to start with a lemon, which is a thing that is like a minor bummer annoyance. Brian, do you have a lemon? Oh, yes, I do. My lemon is so, uh, as I mentioned, my daughter Audrey turned eight on Friday and our whole Sunday was structured around. She wanted one friend to hang out with her oldest friend in LA, Leela. And we rented a bounce house and we we're going to go to Benihana with Leela and her parents. And then on Saturday, Leela got sick and no. couldn't come over. And so this thing she's been looking forward to for a month with her tiny friend she was in tears because she couldn't spend it with this one very sweet girl. Now, this lemon is going to turn into a peach in a few minutes here, but there were a few hours of extreme tiny sadness when our best friend couldn't spend her birthday with us. And your wife texted me asking if I wanted to come in the bounce house and I was busy. I actually wasn't busy. I was just doing chores at home, but. <laughs> didn't come. If I had known that her friend ditched, I would have hauled ass. It's all good. It, it actually worked out really well, which I'll talk about in a minute. But that was my lemon. A long-standing birthday plan didn't work out. Awful. Yeah. Layton. My lemon is that I picked up the Stepford Wives for some reason. I don't know. I just never read it. And the intro is by Chuck Palahniuk, who I like sometimes. I find him generally grating. I think he's written a couple of That's really great things. That's the correct reaction to him, yes. <laughs> and the rest of them are just like fucking exhausting, obnoxious. But within mm -hmm. the first sentence of the introduction to the book, he spoils the book. Normally, I don't give a fuck about spoilers. <laughs> but literally in the first sentence, he says what the, the you know, conceit of the thing is. And it's just like, 
fucker, I just opened this. I just paid money for this. You're just going to tell me what happens? So I'm reading it, but now it's like, you told me the thing. Like, I've heard about this forever and I've always been like, what's really the deal when people refer to this? Like, what exactly is going on? Thanks, Chuck. Well, especially from the motherfucker with one of the most famous twist endings around. Like, yeah. Right? (laughs) What the fuck, Chuck? I'm going to finish it, but it's not the same. Whatever, who cares? Uh, Alana, do you have a lemon? I do. My lemon is that I was going to do four shows on the East Coast and they have been canceled. Oh, no. No. And that's okay. COVID or what? Actually, I don't really know. I was just kind of brought on as a fill-in for another co-headliner. So the ball was rolling before I was involved and the ball stopped rolling without Mm. really, you know, I don't really know what's going on. But yeah, I was excited. And that's okay because shit happens. So it's still a bummer though. Yeah. All right. So now we will each do three peaches, which are things that are fun, exciting, made you feel happy, things you're glad about. God, 119 episodes and I'm so good at explaining this shit. Mm -hmm. Brian, peaches? Yes. Okay. So jumping on the back of that, Juicy little lemon I mentioned earlier. Um, So although Audrey's friend Leela could not show up for her birthday party, we managed to get a bunch of other kids who could. And so Audrey got to, we hung out with friend of the show, Lasercorn and his family. Oh my God. And uh, Audrey's best friend from school Let's see, there were a few eight-year-olds and then three-year-old and then a slightly older kid who I think is 11 or 12. And the 12-year-old kind of just stayed to herself. But the little kids were going absolutely apeshit in this bounce house. <laughs> when they started off, I said to Laser Corn, I was like, what's the over-under on tears? And he was like, oh, 10 minutes. And sure enough, seven minutes in, <laughs> like, and each kid, you know, bounce, 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 thwomp. Okay, you're fine, you're fine, you're fine. Back in the bounce house, bounce, 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 flip, flump. Okay, you're fine, you're fine, you're fine. Back in the bounce house. It ended up being a really fun day. There was pizza, bounce house, video games, brownies, just a great eight-year-old birthday. And Audrey got to show off her uh, Hyrule Warrior skills to her friends, which was very gratifying. That's beautiful. Yeah. Uh, Peach number two. Two is I was part of a live podcast taping at Hotel Cafe here in L.A. It was a podcast that Danny and I were on a few months back called Bothering the Band. And they did a live taping on Saturday night. And it was really fun. There were a lot of people on the taping. So I think there were eight to ten people on stage, which they're sound person was definitely surprised by because <laughs> there are a few mics added in like kind of at the last minute but i met some really cool people and had a great time with that also i love that little venue hotel cafe you know they have two rooms kind of mm-hmm. like very cabaret sort of vibe been around for a while and i really really like it it is where i didn't talk about this layton but where i saw julie klausner's live show a couple weeks ago your wife told me about this live show yes. it was really great Julie Klausner did a cabaret act. And did she tell you about the Jeremy Strong parts of it? No. She did a lot of medleys and she did a parody of Jeremy by Pearl Jam. 
which was about Jeremy Strong's New Yorker profile, which featured the chorus, Jeremy Strong was profiled today. (laughs) And there was a video that accompanied it by Vic Berger. And it was just- Oh my God, what a combo. She is so funny. And uh, she had a live band with her and was just- delightful. (laughs) I love that. That sounds great. Yeah. My final peach is another weekend thing. All this is about this weekend. My family went to the bug fair at the Natural History Museum and it was fucking awesome. Did you say book fair or bug fair? B-U-G bug. Bug fair. Uh, I didn't know exactly what we were in store for, but it turns out most of the exhibitors were like selling pinned bugs. And so we got- Sick. Actually bought four- Bugs of various types, mostly butterflies and moths. One little old mantis. And it was awesome. Audrey is super into bugs. You could buy like for 200 bucks, you know, a giant pin tarantula and glass. Really gorgeous stuff. And full of families just walking around admiring amazing bugs. And as always, the beetles are the real star of the show because they're these incredible iridescent colors and you know they had like the stag beetles but those are the ones with the big pinchers right i think so yeah i know my animal crossing beetles (laughs) (laughs) uh it was really really fun and you know i'm trying to raise a kid who loves bugs as much as i do and mine definitely does this weekend at the party we found a real hairy little jumping spider and we have a bug catcher so we caught it and all the kids at the party stared at it for a while. Ooh, that sounds so fun. I love kid time. Sounds like you're having a blast. I'm having a blast. And at this party, Lasercorn's youngest, who's three, let's just say I was crushing with this audience. Uh, (laughs) I was doing, you know, eating a fake hot dog wrong bits. Like, do you eat it like this? Put it in your cheek. This kid was on the ground laughing. I think he almost (laughs) passed out. Wow. It felt like the peak of a comedy career. You really got them before they age out of your sense of humor. Oh, yeah. (laughs) That's right. All right. Those are my thoughts. (laughs) I'll do mine really fast. I needed to get rid of a whole bag of cherries that I bought because it's cherry season and they were fresh. Oh, yeah. In my mind, I want to eat like five individual cherries and then there's a whole bag. So I made a cherry cobbler. And oh, it was nice. just okay, but I was very glad to have some coffee. Sounds amazing. What's the thing you do with like cherries and goat cheese and balsamic? Isn't that a thing yeah, you do? Yeah, 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 yeah. I didn't do that. I don't have goat cheese, but I did have all of the ingredients to make cobbler in my pantry. So it was all right. It was pretty good. Oh, awesome. That sounds amazing. My second peach is last night's episode of Barry. Spoiler alert. Jump to 0119.11. Spoiler alert, jump to 01-19-11. Was so fucking good. Like, this season has been amazing. But that Mm -hmm. episode has been, like, the best of the bunch so far, and it just keeps getting better. I just love that show and think it's amazing. It really does. I need to catch up. It keeps surprising. How are they still surprised? Like, they keep doing these things, and uh, several things last night, where I'm like, oh, wow, they, like, just did that. Yeah. The the one before the title drop was just like me yelling because it's it's so inventive <laughs> and great. And also continues to just be, I had a pit in my stomach the entire mm-hmm, episode, mm-hmm. just like, this hurts. But then still super laugh out loud, funny. Yes. <laughs> Take her dog and replace it with a slightly different yeah, that's, dog. That's exactly what I was about to say. <laughs> where he has this real- so good. And his delivery of like, hey, I'm being empathetic. 
you know, hey, babe, come on. I could just I could just take her dog and replace it with a slightly different dog, you know, drive her slowly insane. And it's said in this very, like, I'm a comforting guy kind of voice. And she totally picks up on it. We're doing spoilies in a main We're feed doing episode. Spoilies, I know. Oh, I love the word spoilies. <laughs> <laughs> Makes them a little bit more palatable, you know? Anyway, Barry, great. Bill Hader, uh, please call me. You have children, whatever. It's fine. Uh, <laughs> Look, as a friend of mine once said, just because you've eaten doesn't mean you can't look at the menu. <laughs> nice. <laughs> <coughs> My third peach is that by the time this episode is out, a thing that I have been involved in will have been announced. I don't want to say any more details oh, unless that changes, okay. but a thing that okay. I've been involved in that I'm very excited about will be announced. So cool. exciting. Yeah. Great. Congratulations. That's my cryptic peach. Thank you. Oh, speaking of that, it what? occurred to me that apricot plum hybrids are called pluots, but they should be called apricums. <laughs> why are they not called apricums? You know why. <laughs> it's the better name, but you know why. <laughs> No, I, I legitimately don't because more people would eat them. Pluot sounds dumb Pluot as hell. is great. I like Pluot. <laughs> I like the vowel combination in yeah. the middle of Pluot. That UO is a really strong choice. However, if you just said, look, I'm going to go eat an apricot, come on. <laughs> that feels very wrong. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You should do a Twitter poll, Pluot or apricot. Yes. Oh, believe me. When I realized this this morning, I almost tweeted it. It's a huge realization to have in the morning. Yeah. Yeah. Just wake up with apricots on the brain. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Alana, what are your peaches? My peaches. Okay. So peach number one is that my dog and I have been able to go on lots of hikes lately. And luckily he didn't just wake up when I said that word. <laughs> huge, huge win for us because we get to run off the leash and smell things and pee without needing to have the leash, you know, within pee tension. So mm, that's right. been huge. He's a pit bull doctioned mix. So he's got a smile. Oh my God. Yes, yeah. please. Yeah. He's what? like a smushed pity and he's the best. Yes. His name is Snoopy. I want to see this dog. He's sleeping right now, but this is him on my arm. So that's what he looks like. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh my god! Awesome. He's just a really handsome man. So that's been really nice to be able to do that again because I think I was just like really, really stacking my days, you know, like 12 plus hours and poor guys just kind of like, well, I guess we'll have fun some other time. So mm -hmm. it's been nice to have fun with him again. And kind of in line with that, my second peach is that my friends are on tour in their band Bad Bad Hats and they got to come stay with us. So we had three guests, all of whom my rescue Snoopy is comfortable with. So he mm -hmm. just tried to kiss everybody the whole time. Snoopy was so happy to just hang out with lots of people that he trusted. And we were too. Like it was wild to have friends and to feel safe and cooking for them and I don't know. I was just like so happy to be hosting and having people in my home. And that was really nice. And then my third peach is that my now 14 year old brother is going to fly out and we're going to do a road trip back east together yes. with nice. with Snoopy and with my boyfriend. So the four of us will all be doing a road trip. And I'm so excited to take Oliver like just to places he's never been anywhere besides Disneyland and Chatham. So 
it'll oh, all wow. be very new for him. Ooh. Yeah, he's such an adventurer too. So between all of us, like Snoopy loves a road trip. We've done that drive a number of times and he just gets so mm-hmm. excited to pee in every state. And I think Oliver <laughs> will have, <laughs> have his like human equivalent of that. So those are my peaches. That's so great. What's your puppy's name, Leighton? Her name is Maybe. She's like almost five years old at this point. She just like never got bigger. I just call them puppies because I can't help it. Yeah. No, look at her. She's a little puppy. (laughs) Is she a chihuahua something? She's a chihuahua mini pin mix. And then her ears just like never perked up. I love her. Snoopy has a little bit of chihuahua in him too. So they're cousins. God, I love that. (laughs) Just a, a low to the ground pity. Oh, yeah. Um, Yeah. He's very low. (laughs) Alana, thank you for being here. This was so great. I originally thought I had to go early today, and I'm so glad I didn't because this was a really fun conversation, and I appreciate you taking the time. Oh, I had such a wonderful time. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, you guys are both so smart and so fun, and I felt like I was maybe giggling too much, so that's kind of a good feeling. (laughs) Yay. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, this is really great. Where can people find you online or if you have a thing that you would like to recommend of your own stuff if people want to check you out? Yeah, I'm on all the sites. I'm Party Nails. So my website's PartyPartyNails.com and all my handles are Party Party Nails, two parties, one nail. And Spotify and Apple Music are my go-tos, but my music's available everywhere. And I also have a Discord. So if you want to hang out, um, you can find the link to my Discord on my Linktree link or, you know, you can always DM me. I got lots of pen pals. So, yeah. That's thank awesome. you. Yeah. Amazing. Well, thank you, Alana. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, Maybe. Well, thank you, Leighton. Thank you, Maybe. Thank you, Leighton. Thank you, Brian. <laughs> oh, well, we're doing thank yous. I love this. Thank you, listeners. Thank you, Miss God, for it being slightly colder. Thank you, Miss God. (laughs) Miss God's a game I play with my friend who's six. (laughs) I relate to your birthday party thing, Brian. You know, Miss God is a character that sometimes comes out of this six-year-old. Yeah. (laughs) We thank her. There really is no better feeling than crushing with an audience of a little kid or two and a whole room. Oh, my God. It's just the best. Thank you, all (laughs) eight-year-olds. Thank you, all three-year-olds. Thank you, all bounce houses. Yes. Uh, We have any other thank yous? Thank you, Apricums. Yes. Thank you, Apricums. Thank Thank you, you, Snoopy. Thank you, Music Theory. And that's all she wrote. That's it. (laughs) (laughs) Bye, everybody. See see you next week. Bye-bye. Late Night is produced by Brian Wett, Leighton Gray, and Jarek Centeno. Follow us on Twitter at Leighton Knight, on Instagram at Leighton underscore Knight, or email us at LeightonKnight at gmail.com. <laughs>